you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. I'm your host, Chris Voss of The Chris Voss Show. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We're coming to you guys from the uh, uh, the Chris Voss Show studios in Chris Voss Show Landia. And as you can hear, we've added the new opera singer who will hopefully be singing the, the new uh, byline or whatever the hell it is, the little a bit that we always do. So there you go. We hired an opera singer for this damn show. Now it's official. We're legitimate. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, as always, folks, we appreciate you guys referring this show uh, to your family, friends, and relatives. And we had to pay that opera gal a ton of money. So please help us out by referring the show. Uh, share it with your family, friends, and relatives. Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss. LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss. We pretty much blew the budget for the whole year. It was like $5. Uh, and go to Twit Talk, uh, Chris Foss one, and uh, what that was the other thing? I don't know, LinkedIn newsletter and all that good stuff. YouTube.com. Uh, we have an amazing mind on the show, and it's clearly not me because I'm just fumbling about here at the beginning of the show with the new intro. And uh, we're going to be talking to her about her entrepreneurial experience, what she's done with her business, some of the arc of her life that's uh, quite extraordinary, and what she's been able to accomplish. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of the things that she can give you the best advice on as well. Uh, today, we're joined with Rachel King. And she is, uh, she is of the King Law Firm. She's lawyer, entrepreneur, veteran, wife, and mother. She's also known as the Lawyer King. Do I have that right, Rachel? That is it, the Lawyer King. Do we need to have like some processions or like some trumpets? So, the lawyer King has entered the room. Do we need to have yes, please. Like I'll, bow. I'll bow. I'll bow. I'll everyone <laughs> curtsy and do the, all, the, all the thingies. Whatever those are. Uh, Rachel King joins us on the show. She's a serial entrepreneur uh, starting at the age of 12. Honest. She started sooner than me, damn it. I started 18. I must have been slacking for six years. She started at the age of 12. Uh, she has a work ethic and drive that in early age led to seven years of military service. Utilizing the discipline skills, she moved forward owning multiple businesses and acquired the desire to continue expanding her talents. Her passion for law was instilled in her from birth from her father's law career, so she followed in his footsteps and opened her law firm in 2014. The combination of entrepreneurship, discipline, training, and understanding of law allows her to be the rising leader for California, Arizona, Texas, and Kentucky, with her firm focusing on strategic litigation in family law, probate, trust, elder law, elder abuse, conservativeships, and guardianships. Along with her impressive career, she's a proud wife and mother and loved by our community for her continued service and outreach. Uh, welcome to the show, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing great. That was a mouthful, huh? There you go. There you go. And I'm, I'm glad you're loved by your community because we're hated by my community, or at least I am personally. The Chris Foss Show people seem to enjoy, but uh, whatever. They drive by the house and throw eggs. Uh, so give us a .com and uh, <laughs> give us a .com and tell us where people can find you on the interwebs, please. Uh, you can find me at thelawyerking.com on all the socials at thelawyerking. I would love, a, you know, just like everybody, follow, subscribe. I don't even know what the rest of them are. Uh, 
all of the likes. All of the likes. All of the likes and, and all that good stuff. So give us a 30,000 overview of what you do and how you do it. Oh, well, I'm a business owner first and foremost, but that's not quite as cool. I'm a lawyer. I own a law firm. I practice in California, Arizona, Kentucky, and Texas. And like you just said, I... Uh, specifically focus on strategic litigation in these areas of law. I somehow ended up in like all of the very, very emotional areas of law that must say mm. something about me. But my goal is really to work with my clients in a way that we can get them through their legal case as mm. quickly, cost effectively as we can, given the facts and the laws that are in place uh, to reach their goal. And that is kind of the boiler that if you boil it all down that is how i practice law and that is what i do with every single case that i take there you go it sounds like something in what you cared about or passionate about drew you to the segment of law that dealt with family law and different uh, family aspects uh, is that correct well when you first become a lawyer here's a little you, you know insider information sometimes it's really hard to get cases but mm. you can always find family law clients so that's where I started is I started with family law clients and as I continued to practice and get more experience I realized I noticed actually that a lot of attorneys burn out on family law or on these very very uh, fam contested family issues but I was able to keep put up really strong bound personal boundaries i was able to handle these highly emotional situations in a way that didn't affect me personally and so no matter how much i fought against doing them i realized i'm really good at them and mm -hmm. because of that i have continued to grow and you know once you know you're good at something it makes it a whole lot easier to do Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, and family law is pretty good. There's always people getting uh, so like divorces and all that sort of good stuff. Well, yeah, but it's not just divorces. Now we've got all the people that aren't getting married. And man, you talk about family law issues. They have more than the married couples getting divorced. Do they really? Like, yeah, uh, yeah no one's getting married anymore. I remember in Vegas, uh, I can't remember what it was, 10, 15 years ago, uh, Vegas just quit having a 24-hour office for uh marriage licenses and i was like wow marriage must really be in the decline if you know the place everyone really comes to get married or at least shotgun married or whatever right uh, the drive-through the, yeah, the, the drive-through drive yeah, yeah elvis <laughs> and stuff i'm like wow they're like yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna be open 24 hours a day anymore and i'm like this is the city that's open 24 hours a day mm -hmm. but uh right. i mean it's not really the right city to get married in for that matter when it comes down to it it's it's uh it's got all the uh evils and ills that you can possibly imagine which is yeah but I funny think. thing about vegas if you get married in vegas but you live in california or arizona or something yeah typically you end up having to get divorced in the state that you actually live in you can't just go in spoil alert you cannot in most cases annul you know a drive-through wedding in vegas it doesn't it doesn't work like that in divorce wow so I know that there's certain states that are, uh, that are, uh, oh, what do they call them? There are certain states where if I marry somebody, they instantly own like 50% of everything, including my companies and stuff. Um, I, forget I don't what know if that's called. exactly how it works, but there are community property laws. Community property laws. That's the one I'm looking for. Um, and, you know, you got to get a prenup and stuff. Uh, and, and so if you get married in Vegas, well, I think Vegas is community property too. Uh, so I don't practice in Nevada, but if you get married, in, we'll use California. If you get married in Vegas, you live in California. 
you are in a community, you live in a community property state, so you would fall under the community oh. property laws, but you don't just get married and then your spouse takes half of everything. Anything you came into the marriage with is typically considered separate property. So note to self when I get married in Zimbabwe, stay there. Damn it. <laughs> right. Look at all the laws actually in all of the States. And if you're going to get divorced, go and move there. Six oh. months prior filing and then you fall under their laws. Oh, is that how it works? Mm -hmm. All right. For divorces. I'm still waiting on my first divorce. Uh, I've got a few gals of mine. I got about two or three divorces lined up. I just got to time them right. Uh, So uh, give us a bit of your history, your background. How were you raised and and what got you down this path? It sounds like you started your company early too, uh, when you're 12. I did. So I actually, I'm from divorced parents. I lived the very typical, I don't want to say typical, you're not supposed to say that anymore, but a, a child visitation where I stayed with my mom during the school year and went to my dad's during breaks and holidays. But the households were quite different. So I lived in two very different households. I had great parents on both sides, but I would not. And while we were comfortable financially, I did not grow up getting everything I wanted. So anytime I wanted something, basically it was no or, uh, well, I think the answer was mostly no, honestly, Chris. And then I, at one point thought, well, I think it was probably when I was about 12. I thought, well, if I pay for it, you don't get to say no. Uh. I paid for it. And so that's what I think started my idea of wanting to own a business. Also in both families, they uh, were self-employed. So my stepdad was self-employed and my dad was self-employed. So Hmm. I kind of the, everything that goes with owning a company, I was very, very fluent in. I saw the struggles, I saw the benefits, I saw the flexibilities, I saw all of it. And so when I got to 12 and I thought, well, I really, I don't even know, I think I wanted a pager or something, right? If... (laughs) Go, go look that up if you don't know what it means. I think I wanted a pager and I couldn't get one. And I went to uh, my mom and my stepdad and I said, well, if I pay for it, what's the problem? And they were pretty cool. There was lots of problems with it, you know, especially contracts. But they said, okay. And so I started a babysitting company. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, and that was, I guess, the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. There you go. And once you get the drug, man. You're kind of screwed for life with the entrepreneurial thing, huh? Honestly, they teach it to you too. They way back when you read Tom Sawyer, right? So uh, my uh-huh. mom always says like that whole whitewashing of the fence thing really stuck with you, Rachel. And I thought, yes, if I can make money off of other people, I don't know why I would ever do the work <laughs> myself. <laughs> That's really, I never thought of the Tom Sawyer thing uh, like that. The uh, Such a great book um, and, and such a great musical, a song from Rush. Uh, so you go along this journey. Where do you go from there? After I started my babysitting company, obviously, I was still in school. I opened during my high school years. I became a swim instructor mm-hmm. at the YMCA. During the summertime, I would do private in-home lessons. And again, when that got to be where my calendar was full, then I brought on some other people on the side, some of my friends, and you know, paid them to, to do the swimming lessons. From there, uh, I, I, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer probably since I was early high school. Mm-hmm. But, and so I know I knew the trajectory that you had to go to college, but when I was 18, I tried going to college and that was a massive failure. So I 
quickly found myself, you know, without parental financial support, with all the things, realizing I was not nearly as employable as I thought I was, and the life is very expensive. Uh, And that kind of forced me into the army. I remember thinking, oh God, my mom had kicked me out of my house or out of her house, not my house. And I, I remember thinking, okay, if I can join the military and I can get a ship date, right, to basic training within like two weeks, I can probably go beg to my mom and be like, please let me crash on your couch for two more weeks. And it actually worked. And that's kind of how I landed myself in the army, which was a great experience, but it was not planned. I don't come from a military family and it was kind of my oh goodness, what am I going to do with my life? Well, let's, they'll feed me at least. There you go. Well, the, our military teaches incredible uh, amounts of leadership and self-reliance and stuff. I mean, I, I've been totally impressed by everything that we do. And you see the difference in, in the quality of what we teach and the individual leadership and the ability to individually team, even if you're above command is, is, uh, is lost or non-communicative. Um, you know, the individual team can still rock. And so yeah. it's it's really cool what what uh, what we teach our military. You see, you can see the difference between our military in performance uh, as opposed to like the Russian military, <laughs> which is like the second best military in Ukraine right now. Um, <laughs> um, I like I like how you slipped that in there. Yeah, I stole that from the I think the Secretary of State, uh, and. Uh, so you know it's it's uh, it's interesting to see the difference in leadership, and it teaches um, people a lot of stuff. Maybe we should just force everyone to go in the military. You know, now that I don't, I'm too old to go. But uh, you know, it's hard to do college and stuff when you own your own company. I I was supposed to go to college, and then I started my own company, and I was like, no, nah, I want to see where this goes. I want to see where my own own sort of journey goes. So what got you steered towards, well, I think it was your father, right? Um, what, what made you decide, hey, I'm going to go into law? Well, yes, my dad is an attorney. So mm-hmm. I was around law a lot. I really liked, again, I came from two very different households growing up. So I liked what I saw. I only saw very limited time with my dad and the practice because I was only with him over the holidays. But for example, when I was there over Christmas break, he would had to work. And so he would spend the evenings and we would go over his cases and he would oh. you know, pretend that I had a say in how he practiced, um, asking my opinion. Uh, and, and that really, I think, resonated with me a lot. Mm. I have a really sexy answer and I have a really real answer as to why I wanted to become a lawyer. And um, the sexy answer is I wanted to help and make everybody's lives better and do all of the things and, and improve the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, The real answer as to why I actually wanted to become a lawyer at that age. And I'd like to just preface this with I was like 18 to 20 when I actually started on my journey to become a lawyer was I really liked the money that could be made. I really liked the power (laughs) that you got, you know, and the people when you said you're a lawyer, they all kind of, oh my gosh. So, um, and now you're a king. I was really attracted to that idea. You're after the power. Now you're the king. You got all (laughs) the power. She's the lawyer king, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so uh, what was the hardest thing about starting your business and getting it going? I know the attorney business can be competitive. I had history growing a business, actually. My husband was deployed when I was in law school. And when he got out, we started a different company. Now he runs it called DIY Barbecue. So not only did I have experience running, a, running companies during my teen years, we'd also started this 
company. It is now a seven figure uh, company. And, and I think it actually hit seven figures maybe before I opened my firm. So I had a lot of trial and error, right? And I'd like to emphasize the error in that statement before we made it. So when I opened my law firm, it was kind of a, you know, I'm at a different place in my life. I was married. I had three children. I didn't want to go and work for somebody else and have them profit. I already fell in love with the idea of making money off of other people and the delegation role. I'm a supreme delegator. So I took all of the skills I had as an entrepreneur and I started my firm as a business. And I think that's one of the deciphering factors as many attorneys start their own law firms and they focus on the practice of law. Mm. But really, you got you have to remember that it's a business. And so as a new attorney, the practice I was still learning because you don't mm. really learn how to practice in law school. And I think I was successful because I, I started it as a business and I learned how to practice by relying on my dad and my other attorney family members. There you go. I, I know one of the issues, or I, my understanding is one of the issues with the attorney school is they don't only teach you the business end of it, right? And you, you kind of knew that coming from your previous business experience. They don't teach it at all. Now, I, I I went to law school, you know, quite a while ago, and I've heard that they've tried to make changes and have, mm -hmm. you know, classes to show kind of the business side mm -hmm. of running a law firm. I think they're electives. I don't think they're required. And here's the thing. I truly, after owning companies, I really think there's natural entrepreneurs and there's people that are not meant to be entrepreneurs. And knowing that as a human, knowing that about yourself, there's it doesn't matter which side you fall on, but really understanding it and then going after and becoming the best that you can be, whether that's an entrepreneur or, you know, an employee, I think is is awesome. But they don't teach you they don't teach you how to run a law firm, let alone really the real life practice of law in law school. There you go. You know, it's it's interesting to me if if I, I tell people if I could go back to uh, uh, when I was young, even when I started my own business, I would have I would have told myself go finish school and become an attorney. The 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 wonderful thing about attorney and and the law is is so important. I mean, you read the Constitution, uh, you read what uh, our country's about. I mean, we're a nation of laws. And it's so, I, I find it so intriguing at my age, all the different laws that we have and, and, and how they work and how they, how they build a system that's, you know, is a nation of laws. It gives us a rule of law sort of uh, basis, how things are litigated. Um, you know, when, when you become successful, uh, you know, you find out that the war that used to go on between me medieval clans of, you know, battle of blood and, and uh, sword. Uh, are really done for between rich people and the courts now. So it's just rich suing rich people. It's fun. Yeah, you know, for everybody that doesn't know if they want to be a lawyer, first of all, it's a lot of work, so you have to want to. But one of the things mm -hmm. that I think is amazing about being a lawyer is that you don't have to practice law. I actually just yesterday, somebody said, oh, but you're a real lawyer, Rachel, because you go into court and litigate. And I thought, well, that's cool to be called a real lawyer. But... Gosh, as a lawyer, you don't, you could go and be the CEO mm -hmm. of major corporations. You can go into politics. You can oh, exactly. go teach. Like, talk about job security. It's probably one of the most secure yeah. forms of education that you can have. You can use it for just about anything. 
I mean, that's, that's why I like the skill of being able to start companies and own companies or run companies is because I can use it for just about any sort of field. Um, but, uh, so, so can you do with law and, and understanding the laws and stuff just gives you so much knowledge. It's, it's such a great thing to have. So if I would go back, I would become a lawyer and I've worked with some pretty savvy, um, probably semi evil lawyers, um, <laughs> and, uh, learn, learn some stuff. Uh, and so, uh, I, it's just always interesting to me how it works. Um, what would you advise people that maybe are thinking about being, you know, they're young and, or maybe they're old. I don't know. I think my aunt got her law degree when she was in her forties or fifties. Um, what would you think about, uh, what would your advice be to people who are thinking about getting into law? And I get asked this question a lot and I feel like I'm always like the Debbie Downer with my answer. Uh-oh. I think it is so much work that you have to really be dedicated to the educational journey. It's not like going and getting a sociology degree just so you can check that box. It requires such a huge amount of emotional uh, and mental investment that I think before you decide that you want to be a lawyer or that you're going to go to law school, really decide that that is what you're going to do and what you're going to commit to from an education standpoint. It's also super expensive. So I can't imagine getting through one year of law school, still having to pay for it and being like, oh, I just really don't like this. (laughs) That's like the worst, right? So be sure you like it, commit to it, and then understand that it's going to be really hard, but it is so awesome on the other side. Like it is truly... I mean, I'm still kind of in awe that I get to say I'm a lawyer and that I still get that power response from people and I get to help people, which at this point in my career, actually, I like to do, right? I really love being able to help people. So uh, make sure it's what you want to do. Know that it's going to be a grind. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be really hard. But if you can get through to the other side, it's so incredibly powerful and you can do almost anything you want as a lawyer except maybe practice medicine that's not gonna happen there you go and, <laughs> and sometimes lawyers get a lot of jokes i have a lot of lawyer friends and this sometimes they're the one telling the lawyer jokes uh but uh you know what's the old line uh everybody no one likes attorneys until uh they need to call one or something like that when's yeah. the best time to call an attorney when you really need one if you're stressing over some a legal issue or mm-hmm. something that you think is going to be a legal issue, I think you call an attorney right then. Mm-hmm. There are if you call a good attorney, right? Mm-hmm. They will tell you you don't need to stress and you don't need a lawyer right now. Ah, or they'll tell you, "Hey, yes, this is what you should be concerned about. This is what we we can do." But but if you don't make that call, you're going to continue to stress cuz you're not going to know and it's going to weigh on you. It's going to affect other areas of your life. So reach out to an attorney, have an attorney that you know, a relationship with an attorney in case you need to make that call and call as soon as you start to lose sleep or think about it in the shower, right? I always tell people, if you're thinking about it in your in the shower, it is occupying an awful lot of space and we should go talk about it so that we can free up some of that stress. There you go. I'm always thinking in the shower about, I should sue the person who made this damn loofah. It's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> this this shampoo sucks. I have to use it three times to get all my uh, dirt out of my hair. Um, yeah, it's that way. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean the law is so important. I think I think a lot of Americans take the law for granted. You know, recently I've been reading the Federalist Papers and uh, you know talking about the laying of the foundation of the Constitution. You look at um, how the shapers of of our country 
you know, we're a nation of laws. People don't realize that a lot of the freedoms you have every day come from uh, a lot of the things that are out there. Um, and, and so it's really important to have. Uh, so you, you delve into uh, family law, probate, trusts, uh, elder law, elder abuse, conservatorships, and guardianships. Um, one of the things you talked about recently is uh, the Britney Spears conservatorship case. This will get us some SEO hits, I guess. Um, and <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's also, a, I was kind of surprised that the conservatorship ran for so long. And then there's a the recent football player. Who's the football player recently that uh, uh, he, Michael? yeah, he thought he was adopted and it was, it was a big movie everyone cried about. It. I think I went and cried to it. And uh, turns out the whole thing was a maybe a fraud. I don't know. <laughs> well, so I, you know, one thing that's interesting about these is the conservatorship or the conservatorship issues, if you will, have been going on for a very long time. This is not news. Mm -hmm. It became newsworthy when it w involved Britney Spears and Michael, both to, you know, celebrity status individuals, which on one hand is really great because when you look at what happened to them, it's pretty shocking and it caused the laws to change and the laws to really protect the rights of the individual. And I think that's super important. So when we think about conservatorships in other states, they're consult called adult guardianships. Mm. We're basically taking an adult and giving them maybe less rights or the same amount of rights that they had when they were minor children. Mm. That's a huge infringement on you know, your fundamental rights as an individual. And it was able to happen. And, and because somebody had been deemed incapacitated, right, they, they can't make any decisions, we're going to treat them like a child. They didn't even have the ability to go say, well, I want to hire my own lawyer, because I think everybody's in on this together. Yeah. Um, they weren't even allowed to do that. So pretty shocking and kind of amazing that it's caused such huge change within the legislative laws and the courts and how everything is being handled. And I think for the better. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I mean, there was a time where Brittany seemed a little bit out of control. I mean, uh, might've been some drugs involved. And when you're attacking uh, Ford Broncos with umbrellas and stuff in the middle of the night, shaving your head, you know, maybe, maybe you needed some help for a little while, but, uh, but I mean, it's like 20, 25 years or something. It was like, like 13 years. And, 13 the, and years. the thing that's interesting is she was still able to perform, right? She was yeah. amazing. She was working. And you oftentimes don't see that if somebody is unable to make their own decisions, they typically have some kind of inability to, to work as much as she was the controls that were going on in her case. I heard I was never involved in representation, uh, representation, but I heard that, you know, how she performed dictated whether she could see her children at the visitation. Those kind of yeah. controls are really kind of an abuse of power. And I think mm -hmm. when it all came to light, it was really a, a, where not only us as citizens or individuals, but the politicians and the legislators and all of these couldn't turn a blind eye anymore. And they had to say, well, she may need help or somebody may need help, but we're going to let them still participate in their life. And we're going to restrict the control to the least restrictive means. And we'll revisit it as we need to, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we definitely always have to be looking at our laws and seeing how they can be approved. Um, uh, is there, how do I get a conservatorship over a billionaire? Is there a way I can get that done? Cause it always seems <laughs> well, like, uh, only one first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've had a few on the show. 
Uh, it always seems like, you know, the people they want conservatorships are the people who are making money, you know, like Brittany and that uh, Michael NFL guy. So, well, there's uh, a lot of money that could be made yeah. as we saw with Brittany when you're no controlling somebody's life. Yeah. No one's trying to get conservatorship of the Chris Voss show. Actually, I sold my conservatorship. Uh, the Chris Voss show owns me. And so yeah, I am okay. I am enslaved. Uh, so there you go. Uh, that's why I'm stuck in the chair all day long. Tape to it. Duct tape to it, folks. Please help me. I'm winking. Winking. No, I'm just kidding. SOS. Uh, so uh, another thing you, you focus on that I think is important to talk about is elder abuse. Um, this is a big deal. I'm a mortgage company for 20 years. And one of the things that I used to really just meant, used to grind my, uh, whatever is I would see people that would come in and they'd be seizing the home of their, uh, parent or, or loved one who's an elder and they would be doing it for the money aspect of it. Sometimes they'd be really honest about it. They, they were just like, Hey, she's got a lot of equity and she's kind of old. So throwing her home and and take the home. Um, and I'd see, you know, sometimes I'd be working with the elder uh, mother or father and, you know, they'd be talking to me and asking, you know, for some sort of counsel on what their kids are trying to do. Like sometimes we'd be trying to refinance their, their home so they could save, you know, I think there was one case where we we're going to save uh, a little old lady 1200 bucks a month in her credit card, paying off our credit cards with her equity. And she'd somehow given access to the title through a couple of her kids. Said, hey, we want that title, you know, in case she passed away. And so we were trying to refinance her to save her this money that, you know, she was on a fixed income. And uh, and the kids wouldn't let me do it because they're like, that's our equity. And you're like, holy uh -huh. shit, what's going on with you? Uh, so are these the types of things you see with elder abuse, financial abuse? Is it physical abuse too as well? There's a lot of physical abuse that typically comes when we're talking about, I mean, sometimes it's just straight physical abuse, like you would yeah. get in any situation, but oftentimes it ends up resulting from somebody that has like dementia or some kind of cognitive impairment. And the physical abuse ends up kind of manifesting as a result of frustrations in mm -hmm. caregiving, yeah. but financial abuse, man, sometimes you know, seniors fall victim to the prince of Egypt that's going to make them a billionaire if they just send all of their money over. But most of the financial abuse ends up coming from children or caregivers, people that are wow. very close. And the house, hands down, hands down is the first thing that people go to, especially in California, because there's so much, uh, yeah. houses are worth so much in California. And so we see, you know, I had one situation where the child had taken ownership of the house and was evicting the parent. And it's like, wow. where's this person supposed to go? You know? And it's really, Holy really crap. devastating. The money that goes, the house that goes, especially when you're talking about fixed income and they don't have the ability to kind of yeah. repair it. Uh, yeah. But we're seeing not, we're seeing more involvement from the district attorneys. We're seeing awesome. more involvement in the, from the FBI to really get a handle on financial elder abuse, but it is devastating. If you know about it, then the faster we can get a hold of it, you know, it's always easier to stop or prevent rather than to go and try and collect money that's already been spent. So there you go. What do you, what's your advice to people? Like if there's families out there that they have that, that one sibling who's up to that sort of thing, trying to seize homes and assets and, you know, throw the mom into the, or the dad into, uh, into uh, the uh, the rest home and all that stuff. What's your advice to them? Do they need to call an attorney like yourself? Is it a, is it a criminal uh, sort of thing they need to report uh, to the police? Uh, 
what's the process uh, out there for that? We'll definitely report it to the police. There's adult protective services that you can report to. As a lawyer, I always say, like, call a lawyer, we can help, right? We can mm -hmm. go and get the courts to intervene. But I also realize that there's a huge family component to this that needs to be recognized. If sibling is doing, I mean, I can't tell you, Chris, how many times I've had the sibling call and say, but I, I don't want to upset mom or dad. So I don't want to file in court because they're going to be upset that we're all fighting. And so I think you need to understand what's going on and then see, you know, one of the things that I do with my clients is see how this family dynamic fits into what is mm. happening and how can we restore or maintain or restore a family without, you know, causing somebody to be abused financially, but reach out to law enforcement, reach out to APS, reach out to any of the uh, senior uh, centers that you've got. I'm, you know, call an elder abuse attorney and, and there are things that can be done. The things to look for though, are if you've noticed whether you are the senior or it's a family member, are, you know, names being added to bank accounts, are titles mm -hmm. of houses being changed? Is there one person that is, you know, are, are new wills or trusts that are being made? Um, mm -hmm. Are they being isolated? Are they able to make phone calls when they want and see who they want to see? All of those are huge triggers that mm -hmm. we have the same, you know, they're very common when we see financial elder abuse is this pattern of behavior. So if you see any one of them, you know, sooner the better. There you go. I remember early in social media, I saw one of the top Twitter people when it was fairly new and he was like huge and everyone loved him and he seemed like a really nice guy. And then someone sent me something one day and they go, hey, that guy got busted for uh, elder abuse. And I'm like, really? What what, did, what happened? And turns out he, he'd always been posting these pictures, of these big screen TVs he would buy and all these gaming systems and you know and you're like god he's he's doing well he's living the life there <laughs> turns out he was he had moved into his mother's house and i imagine she had some sort of dementia and she was literally living in her bed with bed sores and uh well he was cashing her social security checks and living up the life on on her money and uh i guess some I don't know relative or neighbor or somebody finally called it in and and the cop showed up and went you know you, she's covered in bed sores you know you're not taking care of her and and yada 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 he was arrested and charged and so it's a really big deal. Um, let me ask you this because my sister has been in a lot of care centers she has MS and and dementia now as well and long COVID too uh, and so with the you know the, there's a lot of uh, this sort of um, I, I imagine you would call it abuse in some of these arrest homes and, and care centers. Have you, uh, have you guys, is there anybody that specializes that for attorneys and stuff? Yeah, there, there is. And I think that you, you know, one of the best preventative measures is to go in and make contact. They, yeah. that whole squeaky wheel, what is it? The squeaky wheel gets the grease or something that mm -hmm. can be applied in so many situations, but it even applies in like these nursing home or care centers, because if you're always there, they're going to make sure that they're more on their P's and Q's. So, you know, have them know who they are, call, have them know you call, make sure that they see that you're a presence mm -hmm. and that you care. Um, if their nursing home abuse is, you know, again, very common, whether it's just, you know, not providing the, not moving somebody who is in their bed all the time, not providing food, mm -hmm. maybe leaving them to not get their care. There's also financial abuse, right? You have yeah. 
somebody in a very vulnerable situation and you provide the care and the companionship and now you kind of hint to them like, well, why don't you, you know, give me a kickback or change your oh, will wow. because I love you and your kids wow. don't. So um, I would suggest the same thing. Law enforcement, uh, any regulatory boards are a really good idea. Adult Protective Services, uh, an attorney probably that does elder law would be able to help. I help with things like that. And so we can see the primary, you know, well, my goal in those kind of situations is to get the care that is necessary. I think that needs, when we're dealing with a situation like that, it's less about recovering money. That's always helpful, but it's more about in the immediate, mm-hmm. how do we make sure that this person that's in one of these facilities is getting the care that they need? There you go. And, it, and it's kind of interesting if you complain at these facilities or file grievances, they can literally just kick you out. And, right. and they're, it's not that easy to place somebody, especially if they're, you know, in, in deep into Medicare and two, you know, they need two or three people to help them out. I mean, my sister has been moved through, I think about seven different homes and there's been issues between, uh, you know, bad employees and stuff. And I, I think a lot of it, you know, she's very young, she's seven years younger than me, but most of the people in the homes that we see that there abuse going on, um, they're older, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they fall under elder abuse and elder care. And it's really interesting because sadly people throw, <clears throat> seem to throw their elders away and never visit them. That's um, the thing, right? They don't visit and then they become more susceptible. Uh, and I do agree with you. I get many people that when I say, this is what we need to do, here's the plan. It's like, well, as soon as I complain to the manager, then they're not going to treat my mom as nice or they're not going to treat my dad as nice. And that's a very, very valid concern. Uh, how many times is your family member going to have to push that call button before somebody comes in? If you're the one that's complained, even if it's a legitimate gripe. Yeah. Or if they can even get the call button thing. <laughs> we had things where it's been kept away from them on purpose. Uh, so there you go. Uh, what are some advice you give to clients that are in stressful litigation cases? Because, uh, you know, these get highly emotional. I've I've gone to four family court with some friends that were fighting over child custody and uh, whatever, all that bullshit they did in their relationship. Um, and uh, I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen family law court. And uh, fortunately, I've never been on the plaintiff defendant side of it but uh, <laughs> I, I see the stress i guess that's my point i i agree i joke with my husband sometimes that the reason that we're still married is because i see what a disaster family law court is wow um, <laughs> i'm just kidding i really love that's, him. that's true love right there <laughs> so with every case whether you are in family law probate court probably even criminal except that we have different laws over criminal yeah. the legal process is a hurry up and wait situation. I'm very comfortable in that because I was in the army. So I understand (laughs) the hurry up and wait philosophy. But I think that's probably the most stressful part, aside from the the emotions, right, is, well, I need child support right now. I don't have a place to live and I have to move out because the house is selling and I need all of these things. And they come to me, they're like, so make it happen. I'm like, well, so that's not an emergency from the court's perspective. So we'll get on calendar in five months and the court will make a decision now. That's really, really hard for people to understand. And that is so above my pay grade. Like, go talk to your congressman and some other people about how to sort that whole thing out. But I think if people go in knowing that this is, you're probably not going to get immediate results in any court system. Mm -hmm. And then... Having an attorney that you, if you're going to have an attorney, right? Not You don't need your own attorney. You have a constitutional right to like represent yourself. You also have a constitutional right to have an attorney present with you. But uh, 
if you're going to have an attorney, you really need to trust that attorney. And yeah. people always think that's so obvious. And I'm like, even if you have the crappiest, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your show, but you have the worst attorney in the world, right? You have better call Saul as your counsel. It doesn't matter if you trust him, right? Because Wait, he was pretty good in the show, though. He was. I don't know if he was ethical or moral, but... Um, but you're going to... You need to trust what your attorney tells you and their guidance in your case. Otherwise, you're going to be stressed at every level. If you have the best attorney in the world and you don't trust anything they say, you're also going to be very unhappy. So make sure you trust your attorney. Know that you know the rules of evidence make it so that every little thing isn't going to come in. And I, I know in today's age, because I get told this all the time on my social media, people want to be accepted and don't like that there's rules. I think it's really important if you're in court to mm -hmm. kind of concede that you need to represent yourself in a particular light. And it doesn't really matter if you have to fake it till you make it in court. You mm -hmm. have to do that. You have to posture yeah. because the court is getting this much evidence and they're making a decision that's going to affect your whole life. They're, it's not going to affect their life. They don't care, but it is going to affect yours. So, you know, be polite in court, wear the right shoes, don't interrupt all of the things. Yeah, don't don't yell at the judge. Uh, that's always, <laughs> that's bad. I love watching the court cases. I'll see them on TikTok or something, or cops TV or whatever court TV, and I'll see like the things where you know the people go off on the judge, and the judge is like, "Really? Okay, well, I have another six months there." And contempt. right, uh, but well, you know, it, out of their own hearing, right? I play, I've been in court when the judge is like, "Yeah, so they live to take them out, and they don't get to say anything anymore." I'm like, "Well, that was no." Yeah. Time your voice was taken. Yeah, there was that. There was that one gal who killed somebody recently, and they had like a bag over her face so she couldn't spit or talk or something, and she just had to sit there in the courtroom. <laughs> I thought it was funny to just watch her eyes and her her, her facial language, and it's like, yeah, that's a note to self. I, I'm one of those people that, and if I ever get like depressed or whatever, I'll go watch cops for a while or court TV. And then, uh, and then after like two hours of watching the shit show car crash that people You're like, I'm like, so awesome, man. <laughs> I haven't been to jail today. I don't have cops <laughs> kicking down my door. I'm not wearing a wife beater on the couch or I'm shirtless on the couch. That clearly is me that at the trailer home is going to the prison tonight. I'm doing pretty damn good. I should be really grateful about Yeah, my you life. set that bar way down here. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you feel great. You're like, my problems don't mean anything compared to what these people are doing. And uh, so there you go. You know, the one thing about divorce court is, as I see the amount of money that people spend in divorce court, and they, a lot of them just don't seem to realize that half the stuff they want to fight over in divorce court, like divorce court doesn't care about. You know, like it's nonsense. I like, don't take those kind of cases anymore. I used to, you know, <laughs> when I had to pay my rent and stuff. But yeah. now I tell people, if you're fighting over the silverware, yeah, I'm not the attorney for you because I'm just going to tell you to go buy new silverware <laughs> and let's yeah. just move on. And and then you know, you look at. I'll be honest. I haven't followed the. I didn't follow the Bezos divorce very very much, but. Oh, yeah. I also, you didn't hear about it too much, right? And I think that could just be a really good lesson for a lot of people is these are two incredibly wealthy people. 
Well, I think they, they were both vested in Amazon. and they I, I'll take a lesson. Yeah, I think it was because they were both vested in Amazon, and they knew if they turned it into a shit show, their value of Amazon stock would go in the toilet. And I guess if I was walking away with a divorce with you know $35 billion or something, I would have yeah. less to bitch about. you think you would. I don't know. That that one divorce with, uh, who is it, uh, Brad Pitt and his wife has been going on for <laughs> 16 freaking years. Like, yeah. I, I've been single and dated all my life. And the one thing that's always been interesting about uh, ex-married divorced people, I've never been divorced. I, I'm still saving up a few million dollars for my first one. It's a good idea. And, uh, and my second one too. I'm going to do, I'm going to do two or three back to back so I can catch up to everyone. Um, and uh, one thing I, I've noticed is like, they're like more about each other and think about each other. And they're more uh, engaged with each other in, well, usually in anger and bitterness. Um, than they were when they were married. And I'm like, you know, you guys divorced to get the fuck away from each other. Like, I call that being married <laughs> to the divorce. And it's married like to the very divorce real for it. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I, I had one friend uh, that I went to family court for. Uh, they, they each spent 50 grand each, and they put it all on credit cards too, which is even more insane. They spent 50 grand each just to get the same thing the judge offered them at the beginning. Because they wanted to fight over, I don't know how many times he left the toilet seat up, and you said the silverware and stuff, and uh, they wanted to fight all about that. So they did that. So they spent a hundred grand, and afterwards they finally ran out of money and settled. And I told them, I go, you know, you have two children. You could put that hundred grand into a, you know, passbook savings account, or you know, maybe a, a IRA, some sort of investment vehicle, T bills or something that was safe. And those kids, you'd have their college paid for it, but no, you blew it out. Cause you want to argue about the toilet seat and I don't know which way that to put the toilet paper on the, on the roll. So there's that. Yeah. And there's definitely people that like to do that. Yeah. But I also think that the attorneys, you know, they, they could have potentially had an attorney that would um, counsel them on how that was maybe not the best mm -hmm. money spent. I'm not here. You know, I, I support myself with people paying attorneys, but at the same time, like I'll be very candid with my clients. Be like, so I, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I had one where it was a settlement offer of like 200 grand and they were like, I'd rather give you the 200 grand than pay them. And I'm like, well, I really appreciate that, but that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> You're willing to pay me the 200 grand. Why don't you just pay them and we can have this all go away. Um, yeah. If I ever get divorced or if I ever get bored, like I'm just bored in life and I got nothing better to do. I'm going to get married and then get divorced really quick just so I can just experience fine. what everyone else has in this world. Yeah. Um, uh, one last thing I wanted to squeeze in here, probate and trust. How important is it for people to put uh, their assets in trusts and build trusts and probate stuff? Well, it depends where you live because mm. every state is quite a bit different. Mm. I think so. One of the big takeaways that I tell people is if you don't do a will or a trust and we won't get into the differences and, and what you should have. But if you just don't do any estate planning, mm. you are falling to the laws that legislators have created with regard mm. to who's going to be in charge where the money, who's going to inherit, what is going to be paid and taxes and all of the things. So mm. if you want any say, then it's really important to get some kind of estate plan done. Not everybody needs a trust. Not everybody wants a trust, but at least having the opportunity. Again, we have all of these rights and your failure to do a will or a trust or at least look into it really is impeding your own rights to make the decisions about how you're going to be cared for, who's going to be in charge and where your money is going to go. And so 
you know, look out for your own self and make your decisions. Don't leave it to the government. There you go. Don't leave it to the government because I think they take half or whatever, if not more. There's a uh, lot of taxes out there. And I'm not going to sit here and say you can get out of taxes. <laughs> I don't do taxes. Right. But at least know, right? Know yeah. what is going to happen and make the decisions that you can for what you want to happen. Yeah. It's tough to think about, you know, what would happen if I die and all that stuff. People don't like to think about it, but uh, it's important because government has. <laughs> right. And I tell people, cause they, they, Oh, I can't, I just, it's so sad. And I'm like, yeah, it's too super sad. Like, I don't want to actually think that my kids are going to have no parents, but mm -hmm. You know, when I do my own and I, everybody laughs at me because I like every time my husband and I travel together without our kids, I like redo the entire thing. Oh, really? And I say, if something were to happen to both of us, now we have minor children, so our situation's a little different. But if something were to happen to both of us, mm -hmm. there's no getting around the fact that my children's life has just imploded. Their life will never be the same. They're going to have huge, catastrophic, emotional. I mean, it's just going to be a mess. Mm -hmm. So if I can at least set it up so that they know that they get to go to school tomorrow and how there's somebody there that's going to take them and mm -hmm. that they can continue their extracurricular activities or stay in the house that they've been raised in. Those little things are the best that I can do so that their world is just a little bit better after it completely implodes. And that's at least for me, how I can get through kind of the super depressing part of like, well, I could be dead and I wouldn't see my kids anymore. There you go. Uh, I'll be interested to see if you change your will and your mind once they turn teenagers. Oh, I have an adult child and I was oh, going to give all of my money to my adult child. I'm 18, uh, 12 and 10. And I now, you know, I, I, I have clients where everything's been left to charity and some people get so pissed and all I can think is, oh my God, if they say anything like this, I'm leaving everything to charity. I don't even care if I write a check to the government, like anything but them. <laughs> uh, I solved that problem. I sent my kids off right as soon as they were born to military school. They're supposed to call me when they're 18, but we've moved and changed numbers multiple times. So Mari won't catch up to me. Uh, well, it's been very insightful and great advice to have you on the show, Rachel. Thank you very much for coming on my pleasure it's been super fun there you go uh give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs thelawyerking.com it's super easy i'm i'm the lawyer king everywhere whether it's dot com or again all of the socials all of it you can find me there and you can even get a phone number to text me on my personal cell phone there you go. And if you meet another lawyer king, are you going to have to have a uh, like medieval battle to the death uh, fiefdom fight sort of thing going on? I don't know. That? Maybe my dad and I have a podcast called The Lawyer Kings. Oh, do you? And uh, and get a plug in for that. I didn't know how I felt about it having plural having to fight with him. Ah. The lawyer king. Fortunately, he's heading into retirement, so that yeah. Battle will <laughs> and you want to make sure you're in as well. So there. Right, of course. Yeah, you can't you can't muck that up. You know, it's, you're in the probate and trust uh, business there. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, Rachel, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. As always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Hey, we got to pay for that opera chick who did the uh, singing there. We're going to put it at the beginning of the show from here on out. So uh, support the show, and it's free. Just refer the show. It's it's that easy, people. We're not asking to. We're not asking you to join a cult or, or uh, I don't know, pay 10% of your earnings, like some kind of cult. Uh, go to goodreads.com, Chris YouTube.com, Chris LinkedIn.com, Chris Foss. The big LinkedIn newsletter just broke 7,000 people, and it grows like a weed, man. Like, it just bounces. So uh, go check that out. And uh, Chris Foss won on TikTok. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.